Good evening. Um, yeah, we're going to, or the, the reading tonight is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 11, and it's on page 749 of the Church Bible. The year of the Lord's favour. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, com to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide, those, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places along devastate, long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will, have, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so, you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden cause, causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jules. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, hope we've all had a good summer. Um, well, today, um, as Libby says, we're going to start a little um, mini-series, I guess, on the theme of justice. And so over um, the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be thinking together about um, God's justice, what it looks like, what justice looks like uh, in Scripture, and then what the implications of that might be as well. And in the coming weeks, we're going to think particularly about how we speak out against injustice and, and how we behave as consumers. So I hope and pray this is going to be a really um, helpful and, and practical time, as well as, I think, a really challenging time for us as we journey together. I know I've been really challenged uh, and, and actually a little bit broken in some places as I've been preparing um, for these sermons. 
we can only really scratch the surface in what we're saying um, uh, in these evenings. So um, I do want to commend books as I go along, because I love to commend books. Um, and this one is Embracing Justice by Isabel Hamley. It was actually the, the Archbishop's Lent book in 2022, which was this year. Um, but it doesn't matter that it's a Lent book, because Isabel Hamley's fantastic. She's a great um, Old Testament theologian and uh, really knows her stuff. So if you want to unpack a bit more, I'd recommend that book. But anyway, that'll... I'll maybe come up with a few more for you. Um, but let's, um, let's, let's pray as we kick off. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of justice. We thank you that you love justice. And we pray that you would give us hearts that reflect that as well. Teach us, speak to us, minister to us this evening. Amen. Well, I want to suggest there are three words um, which will have almost certainly been uttered in your homes, uh, probably the majority of our homes anyway, over the past few weeks. Possibly you uttered them yourself. Um, I know I've heard them numerous times, normally in that sort of witching hour, just before bedtime when the kids are going at each other with hammer and tongs. Um, the three words are, it's not fair. Is that ringing bells for anybody? Anybody having flashbacks? Um, it, 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 it's something, I think, that you will have heard in your homes, and I, think, I suspect as well it's something that you haven't just heard um, said by the kids. We were on um, holiday in Cornwall um, this year, uh, and if you've ever been to Cornwall, you know that the roads are perilously narrow. They're ridiculously narrow, really, because you only get one car down them, and in the height of summer, there's about 50 billion cars all trying to come down them at the same time. And, of course, um, if you meet another car in the other direction, there's nowhere to turn, so you sort of have to go backwards. You end up going backwards for sort of half a mile um, and, and, and desperately trying not to come off the road. And, um, and I found myself having to do that numerous times, to the point where I was convinced it was only ever me that was having to reverse. Um, and I said to my wife, Joanna, um, it's not fair, why is it always me that has to go backwards? Why is it me that always has to reverse? Because we seem to have an innate sense of injustice when things like that happen, don't we? We, we have a sense that this is not how it should be. And even as kids, we're saying, it's not fair. But of course, the reality is that whilst it felt to me like I was the victim of uh, injustice, all those other people in their cars uh, probably also felt exactly the same thing, were saying exactly the same thing to the person in the passenger seat. It's not fair. See, that's the thing with justice, isn't it? There are so many competing ideas of what justice looks like. One person's justice is another person's outrageous. One person's fair is another person's harsh. And so we have to ask, where are we going to turn to understand what justice looks like? Well, Isaiah reminds us, I, the Lord, love justice. If we want to know what justice looks like, we look to the Lord. We could have gone all sorts of places uh, in the Bible to explore justice, but this evening we're particularly going to use Isaiah 61. And we're going to use it as a bit of a springboard to think about how the Bible as a whole talks about justice. But just as a, a side note as we start, it's worth being aware that the, the word justice actually appears 400 times, give or take, um, in the Old Testament. So it's a seriously big theme, which is why I think it's important um, that we talk about it. 
And, and on most of those occasions, when the Bible talks about justice, it's talking about giving justice um, to oppressed people, something like what we might call um, social justice, so raising up the oppressed. On most occasions, that is the sense in which the Bible talks about justice. So when we talk about justice over these weeks, that's largely the sense in which we will be um, talking about it, because that's how the Bible understands it. So if we turn uh, to have a look at um, what we've just talked about, uh, the, the passage we've just read in Isaiah, it comes right at the end of Isaiah. And, uh, and those of you who know your Isaiah will know it sort of traces through the people um, of Israel in exile. They've been removed from their homeland, from everything they knew. And probably by the time we get to these later chapters, they're actually back. And they're slowly and they're painfully rebuilding their lives in Jerusalem. It's been a time of huge trauma and a time uh, of a whole society uprooted. And they're longing for good news. And specifically, they're longing for news of justice. And so we start with those amazing verses at the beginning. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the prisoner. God is doing some rebuilding. God is righting some wrongs. Because, of course, as we said, we talk a lot about fairness. And, 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 and it's kind of something that's ingrained in us right from the beginning of our lives. But the reality is that in our world Fairness is like those packets of chocolate that have, you know, may contain traces of nuts. The world may contain traces of fairness, glimmers of what it was meant to be. But fundamentally, this world often is incredibly unfair, unjust. Maybe it sounds like an obvious point, but we can't really understand justice until we appreciate that there is such a thing as injustice, real injustice. Sometimes we need to stop and notice the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner. And for many of us, that might be quite hard. For many of us, our lives are relatively comfortable. And that's not new, by the way. That's not a new obstacle. Um, there was a guy, uh, Isabel Hamley relates the fact that there was a, a, a guy um, called St. Cyprian, he lived in North Africa in the third century, and he wrote to his friend, Donatus, and he said, this seems a cheerful world when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines, but if I climbed a great mountain and looked over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. And he says, I would see brigands on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. And he concludes, it really is a bad world, Donatus. And I was struck by that, because if I'm honest, I spend a lot of my time in the fair garden, in the shadow of the vines. I don't notice those uncomfortable details. I read a statistic that a million children every year are forced into prostitution. A million. The places most affected by climate change are the places that can least um, withstand it the places that have the least resources to be able to cope. 
Closer to home, there are, there are people struggling in cycles of debt or trapped by the rising cost of living. People are going to end up, in our neighbourhood, people are going to end up choosing between heating and eating in the coming months. Some probably already are making that decision. That's the reality. I was made particularly aware of this um, when I received um, an email to say my broadband deal was up. And I got this email and it gave me a new price and that new price was twice the price that I've been paying. So what did I do? Of course, I, I phoned them up. Without hesitation, they gave me a new deal and lo and behold, it's cheaper than the deal I had in the first place. But then it struck me afterwards, just as I was thinking, well, this is great, well done me, that I could have been unable to call for a whole host of reasons. I might not have had the time because I'm trying to hold down two jobs just to you know, put bread on the table. I might not have had uh, the capacity to be able to call. That system is set up so that I can do it if I have those things, if I have those privileges. But if I don't, I'm at an automatic disadvantage. This is a bad world, Donatus. I'm not saying this to depress us or to make a, a political point or anything like that. I'm saying it because it's the reality of injustice in our world. This is the darkness in which prisoners sit, and the uncomfortable truth is they're a lot closer than we realise. I suspect there may even be people in this room thinking, well, that happened to me, who were actually the victims of that kind of injustice. There are broken hearts that surround us, but to which we, and to which I, often turn a blind eye. But here's the thing, God does not. God sees God hears, God acts, binds up, proclaims freedom and release. In fact, something even greater than release, the year of the Lord's favour. Those of you who are old enough to remember um, the year 2000 might remember the Jubilee, this great campaign to deal with the huge disparities uh, between countries like ours and much poorer countries who owed uh, countries like ours a lot of money. And they just didn't stand a chance of being able to pay that money back. And the campaign was to urge uh, governments to write off those debts. And that's an idea that's rooted firmly in the Bible, the year of Jubilee. Or as Isaiah has it here, the year of the Lord's favour. And if you find the idea, and you find the idea um, detailed in Leviticus, um, that every 50 years or so, or in fact every 50 years exactly in Leviticus, there would be... Um, a, a time of cancelling of debts, of, of returning of lands, and there are sort of complex rules to outline how that would take place. And no one really knows whether they actually ever um, did all of that, um, whether those principles in Leviticus were ever actually enacted by those people. But, but I think more than that, there's a principle behind it. There's this principle that there will be redemption, that there'll be freedom, that there'll be a, a glimpse of the world as it should be. The idea of what the Israelites called um, shalom, as we've mentioned earlier, rightness, flourishing, everything as it was supposed to be. And that's what Jubilee is about, and that's what Isaiah means when he talks about the year of the Lord's favour, the promise that God would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of 
a spirit of despair. And then Isaiah goes on, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Which brings us to another, I think, really key theme as we start to think about um, justice. The idea of righteousness. Because we tend to think of righteousness as, as a spiritual thing. You know, about our relationship with God. And it is that. It's absolutely that. But it's also about us made in the image, uh, uh, made in the image of God and our neighbour made in the image of God and a restoration of right relationship with those around us. That's what righteousness means, essentially. Right um, relationship, restored. And we'll see in a, a couple of weeks' time, um, when we think about, um, particularly around consumerism, that when we start to look with that lens at things like poverty, at things like people going hungry, they're really righteousness issues because they're about our relationship with those around us being skewed, going wrong, and needing to be restored. We need in those situations righteousness so that there's enough food, but so that I don't have more than I need and I'm able uh, to have a right relationship with somebody else and, and resource them to be able to live, to go on functioning, to flourish, in fact. But just for a moment, imagine that promise of um, oaks of righteousness, of, of the oil of joy instead of mourning, of a crown of beauty instead of ashes for those returning exiles, those, those folks in, uh, in Isaiah's uh, mind who, who have lost their homes and their families and their livelihoods. Imagine, actually, that promise of, um, for, the, for the injustice of those million child prostitutes or the family in spiraling debts. Imagine the difference that makes, the restoration of right relationships. Imagine what that promise of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favour, oil of joy instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of despair, makes to those people. Imagine the stories that are rewritten by the promise in this little bit of Isaiah. It's extraordinary. So as we look at this passage in Isaiah, we start to get a sense of what the Bible means when it talks about justice. Justice is necessary in a world of injustice. Justice offers release from the things that bind us, the return of everything as it was meant to be, shalom. But justice is also practical. When God says he loves justice, he's not just talking about something intangible or hard to define. He's talking about the feeding of the hungry, people who literally need to eat, clothing the naked, restoring the weak. But there's a big thing we haven't mentioned about the passage that we read uh, this morning, this evening, and, and that is that this very passage was read many years later in the temple by the one who embodies justice. Someone who, if we really want to get a sense of what um, God's justice looks like, is the perfect one to look at because he is God himself in the flesh, walking, talking in our neighborhood. And one day in the temple, that man, Jesus, stands up and he reads these words from Isaiah and then he says, they're coming true in me. The year of the Lord's favour is coming true in me. Good news for the poor is coming true in me. Freedom for the captive is coming true in me. Right relationships restored. All made true in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Lord loves justice and the ultimate truth 
The ultimate proof of that is standing there in that temple, reading those very words. Isn't that amazing? Jesus lives justice. Remember, justice in the Bible is so often about siding with the marginalized. We said that, haven't we? Raising the lowly and the lost and the least. I heard a great phrase that Jesus is constantly moving towards the vulnerable. Constantly moving towards the vulnerable. And if, if you trace through, you'll see that it's true. In Luke's gospel alone, he heals a man who is uh, socially outcast because of a skin disease. He chats to a prostitute. He heals a crippled woman. He tells a story where a ma poor man is rewarded, and he tells a rich man to give all he has to the poor. He says, blessed are the poor, but woe to the rich. Jesus is constantly moving towards the vulnerable in incredibly challenging ways. I think particularly incredible, incredibly challenging ways for those of us who sit relatively comfortable, comfortably. And of course, on the cross, he goes even further in showing what kind of justice God's justice is. And in contrast, human justice is shown for what it is. Fickle and unsteady, swayed by popular opinion, swayed by the whims of a crowd. And then we notice that we're all complicit in that injustice. So we often say, don't we, that we're in the crowd shouting crucify him. Now think back to me in my car in Cornwall. I may have felt it unfair that everyone else was on the road, but of course I was on the road as well. And in the same way, I'm a part of, of the problem of injustice in the world. We all are in different ways. The choices I make about what to wear or whether to speak out or what to spend money on are choices which make a difference to injustice in the world. And often, I know that I often make the wrong choice. I'm as tied up in injustice as anybody else. It's like what Paul in Romans says about sin, isn't it? For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, uh, I do not want to do. The evil I do, I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Who will rescue me? He's completely tangled. But God, God's response to this world of injustice is to give us his son. A son who lived a life of just living, of moving towards the vulnerable. Who, as the Bible says, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Died on behalf of the guilty. Rose again. Was declared righteous. Jesus is the answer to the question, what is justice? Not just because of how he lived, but because of what he did. And so if we accept Jesus into our lives, the offer is that we, in our state of injustice, in our guilt, take on his righteousness. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done. But here's the thing, that doesn't just mean we have a new status, doesn't just mean we have a new relationship with God, which we of course do. It also means that we as people who are made righteous now need to go and speak righteousness, seek righteousness and justice for others. 2 Corinthians says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? Did you get that? We get to become agents of righteousness in a broken and unjust world. Not only are we restored, but we then get to become part of the process of restoration. In other words, it's now our job, because of what we've received, to bind up the brokenhearted, to help to rewrite the stories of the poor in our society so that they become good news stories, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. Well, we're going to explore a little more what that might mean practically over the next couple of weeks. But I want to point forward just as we end, because we might be sat there feeling a little overwhelmed by this call to be the righteousness of God, to be agents of justice in an unjust world. And if so, I think we need to point forward. God's work of justice, which we're allowed to be participators in, will be completed. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of history bends towards justice, famously. And you hear that and you think, well, what what on earth is he going on about? But if we look forward with eyes of faith, we see that, that although the world looks like a horribly unjust place, it may contain traces of justice, but essentially, overwhelmingly, there is injustice. We look through the lens of Christian hope, the hope of the cross. And we see that one day, not because of anything to do with us, although we are participators within it, God will bring justice. There'll be no more pain or crying. The world feels unjust, but the promise, spoiler, is that the Lord loves justice. And so instead of your shame, as Isaiah says, you will receive a double portion. And instead of your disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so what can we say but come, Lord Jesus? Bring your justice. I'd love to, if you're able to, invite you to stand. And you feel comfortable to. be great. And the bands are going to... Come up. I was struck as I was thinking and praying about this this evening that um, there are a couple of challenges, certainly for me, and I, I guess maybe for all of us. And the first is noticing that injustice. The first is having our eyes opened. See, God sees injustice. And often... I know I don't. And so, firstly, you might be there longing for God to help you see injustice. And if so, I invite you just to pray along with me in a minute. And equally, you might be challenged about the so what, about the, the fact that we are the righteousness of God. We bring God's justice, God's righteousness to the world, not because of who we are or anything we've done, but because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done for us. We've received his righteousness, and so we become the righteousness of God in the world. And so, if that's you, maybe 
just pray, I guess just simply this evening, it's just pray that God over, as we spend this time thinking about this stuff over the next couple of weeks, that God would stir in our hearts what it is we can be doing in our, in our own context, at our workplace, in our colleges, wherever it is, what it is we can be doing to be the righteousness of God in those places. So let's just pray about those things. Lord, we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by the injustice in the world. And often we're not overwhelmed enough. So we long that you would give us eyes that see the world through your eyes. Hearts that are broken for the things that break your heart. And Lord, we're overwhelmed by what you've done for us. By the way, we don't need to to stay in this this confusion and tangle. But that you speak righteousness over us. Lord, we're overwhelmed by that call to speak righteousness over the world around us in turn. Help us, Lord, this week to be your hands and feet, to speak a different story, to speak a story of justice in the things we do, the decisions we make. And pray that as we go on through this series, in the next couple of weeks, you would change our hearts, speak to us, Teach us and change us, Lord.